Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave. Welcome to NASCAR America Debrief, the second episode. We now have a name. We also, oh, it we also have two <laughs> guests. Dale Earnhardt Jr. returning. I'm your host, Nate Ryan. Dale Earnhardt Jr. returning. Dale Jarrett here today, both on NASCAR America. And we started out today, guys, with a discussion about what's coming for the All-Star Race next month. Dale, most excited you've been about an All-Star Race in a long time. Said it can't be any worse than the current situation. <laughs> but you also said that th- these plates that they're going to be putting on the cars are temporary. You-, you think this could be a glimpse of the future, maybe a huge change for the industry. Tell us, expand on that. What, what-, what do you mean by that? All right, so everybody, now let's, this is one man's opinion. And so I don't want people to, to uh, get carried away here or, or um, get too angry, I guess, but... My feelings are that our cars have gotten so, the motors are so powerful and the cars are so streamlined and the cars are so perfected that we're going through the corner literally as fast as we possibly can. And that makes it very hard to pass anybody. Uh, when, if you're just, you know, if you're looking at the top 10 cars, they all run so competitively that it's really very challenging for anybody to maximize what what those ten cars are doing to get an advantage, what good enough advantage to make a pass or or you know make the racing any more exciting than what we see. So, what I think needs to happen is, and this is a long term objective, nothing that's going to happen in the next couple of years, but I believe that they could go to an, a smaller engine that's not a restricted motor. It's just a smaller cubic inch motor, a motor with a motor, they, they need to sort of reset and go back a little bit and, and, and take a lot of horsepower away, which they'll eventually engineer back into this new, you know, this new engine. Um, but they need to sort of go back a little bit on power, keep an open motor because the driver wants the throttle response. That's why I think the plates are temporary because the plates take a lot of throttle response out of the car and make the throttle really lazy. So a driver will like an open motor, even if it is a little smaller engine. And I love, so that's part of the, that's the motor equation of it. Get the cars to where they're about, you know, at a place like Charlotte, they need to probably be going about 30 mile an hour slower in the middle of the corner. I think a lot of drivers would actually be okay with that. I mean, these cars are flying through the middle of the corner and it's not only hard to pass, but it's, it's quite frankly, pushing the limits of 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 being quite unsafe if something drastic you know happens to the cars like we saw this past weekend you know those are some nasty nasty crashes uh when we when those guys got into the fence this weekend with larson and the 31 and 78 so that's the motor side of it another part of this package is the drag and the drag is actually on the front of the car we talked about this or uh, jeff burton more particularly talked about this in the show when we tried this before we had drag on just the rear of the car and that 
and and even when that was going into play a lot of the drivers were were talking about how the drag really needs to be on the front so that this and the reason why you want to put drag on the front of the car is because it is a disadvantage to the lead car everyone else who's following him is reducing the drag by being in the draft so they're actually going to that that should in turn create passing slingshot passes things like that it should create runs on cars and opportunities to 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 have passes so putting the drag on the front of the car is a critical step which this is doing that is it enough i don't know uh we want to really have as much drag as you can possibly put on the car actually without making it look freakish (laughs) and you know the drag on the back is not quite as critical in my opinion it's more about how how more how much we can disturb the air on the nose of the car to disadvantage the the only the leader and this package really does that it's a it's it's only cracking the door open though and it's not perfect and it's not going to be perfect i don't want anybody thinking that man we're, we're saying this is the gospel it's just we're looking in the right areas now and i really think that this is a great chance to sort of see if we're looking in the right areas for where nascar may need to go down uh, go, go down this road a little further to see if we can make the racing better at not only Charlotte Motor Speedway, but everywhere that this can be an, an effective package. DJ, I know you're a fan of this. You're, you're positive about this, but I know mm-hmm. you also are probably somebody who knows this isn't going to be perfect. Last year on the NASCAR NBC podcast on NASCAR America, when they announced this similar package for Indy Xfinity race, you weren't 100% sold. <laughs> and yeah. and now you are. What brought you around on it? And what do you think about what Dale's saying about like maybe engine of the future type stuff here that could come out of it? Yeah, the, the cars are just too fast. That's that's the biggest thing. And so yeah, go, going back to last year. Yeah, I was told that restrictor plates on the Xfinity cars, none of the rest of the packs, I was just told restrictor plates. I said, that's a terrible idea, right, right. you know, at that place. Right. Then when the rest of the package was put out there, I'm like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll take a look at this and see made for an outstanding race. You know, it was good. That That's on a flat racetrack, flat two-and-a-half-mile track with four distinct corners. Uh, but I don't see it as being that much different, even though we're going to a 24-degree banking, and, and it, the concept's going to be the same as to what we're trying to get there. I'm going to read something, and this is why something has to be done. And this is a quote from Brad Keselowski after Sunday's race at Texas. Aerodynamics, the cars side-by-side, side, they're not meant to run that way. We've got a problem because that's what the sport was built on. Right. The sport was built on side-by-side racing and things happening and driver one driver trying to outmaneuver or outbrave the next guy running side-by-side. And, and you can do that when you're not on a razor's edge all the time with all the speed. So the cars have to be slowed down in some way. As Dale was just saying, this probably isn't the perfect way to do it. But they'll learn from it. We we both applaud them for taking the chance and seeing, is this a direction we need to go? And, and I'll go back. I said this on NASCAR America yesterday that I went to drive for Robert Yates in 1995. And I heard him in meetings telling the powers that be NASCAR at that time, we need to now cut the cubic inches of these engines back because these cars, we're only going to keep making them faster. We're only going to get more horsepower. We haven't even started to get where these guys, and he was maybe the smartest man ever. 
uh, with these engines. But that was 23 years ago. He was telling them we need to cut it. The, the engines have only gotten more powerful since that time. Now, yes, this is it's, it's going to be a big hit to the owners or the manufacturers whenever that time comes, but speed doesn't always equate to good racing. So that not saying that, again, drivers don't want to hear about restrictor plates, but there's other ways of slowing the cars down to where the fans aren't going to see the difference. All you'll ever know is if you see the numbers. I, but I don't know many fans that go to watch a race just because, you know, the cars are running 210 miles an hour uh, going into the corner at, at Michigan or something like that. Yeah, that that's a great thing and you can have that for qualifying if you want uh, you could make that happen but you know we need to slow it down so the racing is good is really good and the drivers will enjoy racing side by side and learning to have to do things a little different i'm glad you brought up the texas example because there were four instances between turns three and four where driver on the outside just pinched a guy on the inside and guy spun around and it feels like i wrote about this yesterday it almost feels as if like nascar is on this fine line with the current aero situation where are, are the cars are the cars too hard to drive in some ways, Dale? I mean, uh, like when you have guys like yeah. Denny Hamlin losing it, and yeah, I mean, Alex I, Bowman lost it. I mean, I don't think that the cars can ever be too hard to drive. The cars need to be very challenging to drive because that raises the profile and the and the talent, and makes the talent more obvious of the drivers behind the wheel. And all, as every driver that I've ever known wants the cars to be almost impossible to drive because in his mind, he believes that he will be the best driver out there because he thinks he's the best. And if you make the cars hard to drive, then all these other guys are going to suck and I'm going to win. So <laughs> every driver wants the cars to be challenging. Right. The drivers, when the drivers see the cars getting easier to drive, they feel like that it, that it levels the playing field too much and allows people with not as much talent as they think they possess to compete. They don't want that. So the drivers, what I saw this weekend, I liked. I thought the cars being on edge, hard to drive, mm -hmm. guys getting into bad situations that caused, you know, trouble, that's race. That's NASCAR racing. That's racing. That's stock car racing to me. Um, I'm, I look at Texas and Atlanta a little bit differently, and Texas did get a repay, but it's going to eventually age pretty well because it's, the, tint, the color and, and of the asphalt's already changing quite a bit, so that track is going to age really nicely and become a track like Atlanta where it's going to get wide. And It's not a track that I'm really concerned about. A track I'm concerned about is Charlotte that had a repave many, many years ago and looks brand new and still performs like a brand new surface. That That has actually made the racing there less exciting because it has so much grip. And they run the all-star race at night, which also improves the grip of the cars. Everybody, you know, goes right to the bottom because that's the quickest way around a high-grip racetrack. And, you know, so for us outside of totally repaving the racetrack, which they, they you know, is just a, a very expensive proposition, what else can this track do to save itself? You know, um, it, it needs to be one of – it needs to be a successful venue for the health of the sport. And they need a shot in the arm. You know, we're, I, I think the Roval is a great idea, but I wish it had never had to come to that, mm -hmm. you know. Um, because Charlotte's such an institution. It's right. been around for 50-plus yeah. years. Yeah. Yeah. So, so this is exactly what they need to do to see if we can figure out how to make racing at the Oval at Charlotte still as important and critical as it used to be years and years ago. 
And Dale Jr. said, you fix Charlotte, you fix them all. Like, this could be the hey, key to fixing absolutely. one and a half tracks. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean it, th- that place is so difficult. If you get something that works there, then it's, you're going to be able to take it a lot of places. So, uh, yeah, I think that you, you, you try this, and then you learn from that. You get feedback. You'll be able to watch and see all of that. And back to Texas for just a second. When I was watching that race on Sunday, I thought back to something that happened with your dad. I was sitting there watching it, and, and when that wreck happened with Denny and them, it made me go back to Michigan, and this was during practice. This wasn't even in the race, and this is in the maybe somewhere around 97 or something, and we were out in practice, and Mark Martin got so mad. I'm pretty sure it was Mark. Got so mad because your dad got over on his quarter panel going into the corner. Mark had a way better car, but Dale could hold you up. He just had that way of side drafting that nobody else could do it. Even once we all started figuring out what he, would do, what he was doing, we couldn't do it as good as what he was. He was just a master at it. And Mark crashed his car in practice knowing that he was in the wrong situation, being on the inside, and Dale just basically sucked his car right around, and, and he crashed it. Mark was so mad that he allowed him to do that knowing that he was there. And that's what I saw. But, but you have to drive differently. You know, driving into the corner beside someone and thinking your car is going to stick, especially now when these cars are so dependent. They don't have much spoiler, so you're not getting much downforce there. All your your forces that, that keep you feeling good about your car are off of that right side and that right rear quarter panel. And once that air is taken away, when you try to drive in there at that same speed, it's not going to work. So you have to adjust to that. So I like that idea yeah. that, that drivers are having to adjust. When people hear restrictor plates, I think they automatically default to Daytona and Talladega. <laughs> Do you guys want to just dispel the notion that this is not going to look like either of those racetracks, right? No. No. Yeah, I, I guess um, we're not going to see pack racing. That's not what yeah. this is going to produce, and uh, I don't think that any, I don't think anybody should go in with that with that expectation. What we're trying to, what this should do is keep the keep the cars closer together. Um, create opportunities where guys where the draft is more effective and guys have more potential opportunities to make passes and run side by side more comfortably um, and produce a more exciting race I'm, I can't imagine that it would have an adverse effect because I don't know that it could possibly get any worse than what it's been there right. I just be to be frank I, I, right. I don't know that um, that that race could could get worse and uh, from what we saw at Indy, which has these odd 90-degree turns, we still had a great race in the in the Xfinity race at Indy last year. We had a lot of guys getting runs, a lot of a lot of great battles going down in the corner. Guys running three wide through turn three, yeah. into the back straightaway. You'd never even cross mm. your mind to do that crap in, the, in a car <laughs> before. So, I mean, there's 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 stability enough to where the guys can race. The cars are slow enough to where they can race in the corner around each other. And uh, hopefully, this will create opportunities on the straightaways where guys can produce and put together runs that aren't defendable, aren't aren't easily blocked. And uh, we'll maybe have some more passes for the lead. Yeah, and and, and Sunday's another good example of that. I think probably Kyle Busch would admit that Kevin Harvick at the end of that race still had a faster race car than what he did. 
But by staying in front of him and not ever making a mistake to slip up to where Harvick could get the air that he needed on the nose of his car to make that move that he needed, that's all that it took. He just knew that if he didn't make that mistake, he wasn't going to pass him even with a better car. And that's a credit to Kyle Busch not only being a great driver but also being smart enough to understand the situation and know it. So by doing the things that, that NASCAR is looking at doing here um, – and slowing the cars down and, and all the, the components that go with that, then you're creating a bigger wake and, and opportunities to, to make passes to where you, you can get that, that pull, if you will. Because, you know, it used to be something that, that you really felt at the – I mean, you could feel it at Michigan uh, years ago. And, and, you know, obviously Daytona and Talladega used to be like that. And, and uh, to, to get that feeling back as a driver, the drivers will enjoy that. If that's a, a scenario that we can bring back, it, so if the drivers enjoy it and and enjoy that opportunity to be able to go up and make that pass like that, then the fans and all of us are going to be the beneficiaries. The Chase Elliott penalty that came down today, uh, after the Texas race, and DJ, you pointed to the fact that obviously the, the new Camaro hasn't quite been what they wanted, and that this may have been an indication that they were looking for a little bit more. But does it surprise you? Maybe two fronts for me, like one that. It's the third L1 penalty for this team in the past 17 races. So clearly, they seem to be really pushing it. And two, that it was in the same window area where Harvick had the problem just a few weeks earlier. I know Dale Jr. mentioned Mm -hmm. normally teams kind of stay away from an area for a while when when somebody gets busted. What what was your take on that? Well, and and Dale Jr. just, he said on the show too that that's the area that makes the most difference. They have so little that they can work with and in, especially with the inspection system now. I mean, you can't. There's just not much you can do. So they're trying to do every get every little bit that they can. I, I do think that, you know, they're probably getting a little frustrated. But th- that frustration goes back to the last year when we kept saying that Chase Elliott was going to win. And so they're trying to give their driver every little bit they can get to get that first win so they can get over that hurdle and move on to the next thing and, and trying to win more races and challenge for championships, which they've proven they can be very consistent, but they've got to get wins first. And so I think they're just pushing the envelope. Hey, I'm not saying that, that it was wrong, but it might have been wrong maybe too soon. How about that uh, yeah. after the penalty that Harvard got? Yeah, I, I don't – you know, I'm not a crew chief, never have been in that situation, um, but – I I, I, I I applauded the ingenuity when the four car, you know, was was caught uh, at uh, at the racetrack with that with that same area, and I applaud the same ingenuity. You know, I, I applaud the, the ingenuity because the teams are in such a tight mm-hmm. area to try to find any speed. And I think as a as a race driver and and being a racer. You kind of appreciate when you see somebody get real creative and smarter than you. <laughs> you know, if you see somebody do something where you're like, "Wow, man, that's pretty. That's pretty cool, actually. Illegal, but very cool." <laughs> um, it, it's impressive, you know. So, I, I like to see the teams really go hard and try to find, you know, areas in the within the rule book and loopholes and so forth to work and what they can make these cars cars do at speed. Mm-hmm. How they can make the bodies d- deform, and how they can make the suspension parts do things that they shouldn't be doing at speed, but cross, but but roll across a platform, uh, sitting still and pass. That's incredible to me. Yeah. It's so impressive. Uh, such a challenge for NASCAR really to stay ahead of it, because 
it's hard for NASCAR to to keep up with all the teams. The t- it's like one against forty three. You right. know, they got forty three teams out there all working to re-engineer every part of the race car that they can, and NASCAR's got to be trying to catch all this stuff. You know, as it comes at them, they're in a very difficult situation. What I think is interesting is uh, how all this stuff sort of playing out across social media. Now, this isn't the same situation I think as the four car. We didn't see. You know the whole blow up on social media after the race and all, all the pictures floating around. Um, I think this was um, this particular situation uh, was handled directly through NASCAR in their inspection process and so forth. But um, this isn't quite as similar as what we saw with the four car earlier in the season. But still, with that, with these two situations, we're seeing so many f- pictures floating around on social media now. I've seen pictures of other cars from that same race. I can pick it too. Right. Yeah. Yep. You know, and they're, yep. they're they're just all over the place. One thing, though, I think is important to remember is that even though a lot, even though people like maybe me and you are seeing these pictures for the first time on social media, all the teams see these pictures all week long. They're, every team has. Uh, every manufacturer has photographers sending photos to all of the teams. Every team in the garage has bulks, uh, has huge volumes of photos to look at from every single day at the racetrack, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, every lap that every car, every time every car goes through the corner, there's a picture taken of it and sent to every team by many different photographers. NASCAR as well has this same access to photos. And they're seeing these way before we are. Um, they're, you know, every team scrutinizes over all these things to see where everybody's splitters at, however, how long is everybody running their skirts, just to look at general setup stuff, not where everybody may be cheating or trying to bend the rules a little bit. People use these pictures just to see how guys are running their cars, what platform do they have their car sitting at. And, other, you know, there's other guys within each team that may scrutinize those pictures a little more heavily to try to find where guys are sort of you know, getting their cars to sort of manipulate in the air. You have to do that, uh, but as as the teams are seeing all these photos, you got to believe that NASCAR is seeing them just as well, and has that same volume of photos to go through before Monday ever comes. Right. So when the nine car got the R and D center, they knew right they away. Probably they probably already knew where to yeah. go look, and we see it. You know, we're seeing it on social media later, and it's similar to. With that said, it's similar to the pit road incident where NASCAR said that they can't catch everything there's so many penalties happening on pit road at one one given you know caution period they can't catch them all same thing with these cars going around the racetrack they might find a few but there's a lot of a lot of things that might fall through the cracks that i think that pit folks on social media may be picking up uh throughout the week it's just really interesting to me um i don't there's not really a book into this conversation but there it's so interesting to me how this how the public and social media is sort of playing part of this tune they don't police the sport i don't feel like that you know social media polices a sport but they certainly are influencing how it's policed it's yeah. very interesting i know yeah. dj you were all over twitter checking oh, out absolutely yes yes, yes. <laughs> i learned everything that i know from you guys which is interesting but i think something and you were still driving cars last year but something became so interesting to me about to the links of how these teams could make the cars feel different from their drivers with the decals on the car, just with the wraps and decals, mm-hmm. and doing things with that. That we're talking about the way just, they're slicing the yes, tape. Yes, just how little <laughs> right, it yeah. was right. that it would affect 
the handling of the car. And, and it just shows you they just have so few areas they can work in that they're taking a decal and, and can make a difference for their driver. And they're, they're, I don't even know how the heck they'd found that out to start with, but um, uh, to, to find that out and, and know that, you know, that any difference you can make. So you understand that they're trying to just give their driver whatever they possibly can in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, F1, they deal in grams. Yeah. You know, as far as uh, trying to make things lighter, they're they're dealing in very minimal uh, measurements. And I think that that's where NASCAR is also headed, is uh, where you wouldn't think about it, how you put a decal on a car. Yeah. Today, you have to think about how you put a decal on a car and where on the car it is. Mm-hmm. And it can be in places that's an advantage, in places where it's not an advantage. Yeah. You know, that started years ago dale when you were still driving they would clear coat the mm-hmm. speedway cars just to take all those decal lips off that little frat you know fraction of a yeah. of a imperfection that the decal would create on the body of the car they would clear the car with 10 coats of clear to get it smooth mm-hmm. completely smooth and so you know at the at the uh, downforce tracks you go in reverse direction and try to create as much trip lips and downforce and everything you can within the rules um, you see a lot of teams run, run, you know, run unique, uh, paint schemes that are mm-hmm. busy in some areas. And, you know, <laughs> so, so it's a little hard to see what's going on in that particular part of the car. So, yeah. um, it's interesting for sure. If you want to know where these errors are, look at these new Xfinity bodies mm-hmm. where they had that honeycomb design on yeah. those cha- on those new f- fiberglass bodies. That's really where, uh, for now, where a lot of the advantages can be found in these cars. Interesting. Uh, well, hopefully uh, the arrow won't be a factor this weekend at Bristol Motor Speedway. We'll wrap up there. You guys had a great conversation about Bristol on NASCAR America. Dale, you called it the Dale Earnhardt of racetracks, yeah. man. It is the short track of short tracks. And when you swept that track in 2004, uh, Xfinity and, and Cup, same weekend, you coined the phrase, it's Bristol, baby. And you talked a little bit tonight about what you learned from your dad there. I don't know if you remember this, but um, that night you won the Cup race. I remember you telling a story about that you, it, you were remembering lessons from your dad about where to pick up yeah. the gas yeah. uh, going in and out of the corner, I think. Yep. Yeah. He he had never, he never one time gave me a, a single lesson about driving, except once. <laughs> one time. He gave me, and this is, I mean, he gave me, if he gave me an, an exact lesson. If he was going to do a book of lessons, this one would be in there. And, and it was such a great lesson. And he did such a great job giving it to me. I'm really surprised now when I think about it that he didn't give me any more. But because he taught me really well at this particular situation, we were at uh, – I'd ran – I think I'd ran uh, a couple Xfinity races there or maybe uh, – um, I can't remember whether I was in the Xfinity car or whether I was in the Cup car. But I believe um, he had gotten out of his Cup car and uh, I was out on the racetrack and he got up on top of – uh, holler and got on the radio and he said I'm going to tell you where to lift you do it and he said I'll tell you where to get back in the gas and you do it and it was really elementary but he, I, I so we I come off I was like alright I'm ready going around the racetrack I mean this it's race weekend everybody's practicing racetrack full of people and we get I get to the flag stand he said lift <laughs> and I was like man I can go another that seems feet. a little early yeah, man I can go another yeah. couple hundred feet for sure easy and he's like, lift. And then as the car settled down in the corner and really just, just loaded up, he's like, start back in the gas now. And so he basically took the whole 
whole lap and wound it back counterclockwise where I mashed, where I lifted and where I got in the gas. He made, he basically was teaching me to get into the corner easier and get off the corner harder. And so I was overdriving the car. That's what he saw. So he gets up there and he's like, lift the flag stand. And I'm like, that just seems so early. I could go so much farther and still run the bottom. I don't know why you want me to lift so early, but he wanted me to get in the back gas so soon, I needed to lift at the flag stand. And it really made the lap more about momentum and more about timing and, and rhythm, doing it over and over and over. I was running every corner individually, like hustling it in there, figuring it out, get out of there, and okay, we're going to do it again, but I don't know if we'll do it the same. You know, and, and just... Just I was just hustling every corner and not not really in any sort of rhythm, and not doing anything of repetition, and so this made driving Bristol very easy, and it was a little bit quicker, you know, and so I started applying that to a lot of short tracks. When when we would get a little bit of distance between us and another car at Martinsville, I'd start lifting at the flag stand. You run the same lap time, but you are using the brakes 25% less. That was my biggest problem at Martinsville when I first started racing there was by the end of the race, I had nothing left in my car. With 100 laps to go, I had nothing left. I couldn't brake as well. My car wouldn't slow down. I, nothing about the car was, was, was performing very well because I had used it up. And I learned as I got older that when I would get in situations that would allow it, I could lift at the flag stand, not use as much brake at all, still run the same lap time as I would running my hardest into the corner. And by the end of the race, I had a whole lot more brakes left, so I could still charge when you had to really charge. The brakes would be there for you. So it was a great lesson. He, Like I say, I mean, he, people ask me all the time, you know, what did your dad teach you? What did your dad He never did. We never sat down and talked about how to draft or this is, you know, you see me doing this, this is why I do it. He never would do that. Uh, but that one time, I guess he saw me uh, struggling pretty bad and said, I'm going to tell him how to do this, and hopefully he'll learn. Got you that uh, win. I, I thought, I'm glad to hear that because I, I had a complex. I thought he just wouldn't talk to me about driving. Every time I ever <laughs> tried to pick his brain. No advice from the intimidating he would not. He would not talk about driving a race car whatsoever. Uh-uh. Didn't want to talk about setups. Didn't care what you had. He knew he was better than you, so he didn't care how you might be going about it. Um, if you beat him, it was because you had something he didn't. And so <laughs> so that was his philosophy. And, but I, I, I thought for sure he was talking to you about things. No. But I knew there were, you, know, you could talk to other drivers that, you know, you go try to have a conversation about driving a, a certain track. You weren't going to have it. He wasn't, he'd totally change it. We'd be talking T-shirts and hats and die-cast right. cars or something, you know, him going hunting what or he something. he thought was important. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah he wasn't going to talk about that. That's great. All right, well, we've got Dale and Dale on Dale. And I think that's a good way to end the second episode of NASCAR Debrief. Thanks for listening. Thank you. That's great. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.